Hi, everyone. I'm Devin McDonald, a partner at OpenView, where I spend a lot of time talking to both aspiring and serial board members. This season on Build, we're talking about the journey to the boardroom. Each week, I'll speak with executives who will share their unique stories and insights to help you either consider what type of persona to bring onto your board if you're a CEO, and or help you think through what your path will be to get to the boardroom as an independent director. Now, on with the show. Today, we are joined by Karen Appleton-Page, who's an entrepreneur, startup mentor, angel investor, and board member. She was one of the founding executives at Box, leading go-to-market activities, defining Box's approach to partnerships, and ultimately founding Box.org. In recent years, Karen has joined a number of nonprofit and private boards, and most recently, she's joined the board of one of OpenView's portfolio companies, Deputy, an hourly workforce management technology company based out of Sydney, Australia. Karen, thank you so much for joining us today, and welcome. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks for joining us. So would love to start off and hear about the early days of your career. Where did you begin? Well, very early, I had it in my mind that I wanted to work at an advertising agency because I love the idea of marketing and figuring out how to message people to inspire them to take action. Unfortunately, advertising agencies don't pay very well. And so I quickly found the other side to advertising agencies are advertising sales. So I started working for the Baltimore Business Journal in sales and really found that it was a super fun way to engage with people and to kind of have that same impact put people's messages where they mattered. That took me to Hawaii. So I moved pretty early in my career to Honolulu and was also engaged in advertising sales. I worked for Travel and Leisure Magazine and Golf Magazine there. And after a couple of years of sales, I moved into a different type of sales. I moved into technology sales for LexisNexis Mm -hmm. and ran LexisNexis for the Hawaii region for a while before I moved to California. Mm -hmm. Once I moved to California, I transitioned out of a pure sales type of role into a marketing role. So I was beginning to sort of broaden out the spectrum of impact that you can have with products. So mm-hmm. I learned the marketing side of the business. The whole time you were in sales, were you always thinking you wanted to get to the marketing side or was it just opportunistic that something came up that was marketing oriented within the company? I always knew that I wanted to have the breadth of impact. Mm-hmm. So yeah, marketing was always on my mind. And in fact, when I was kind of running the Hawaii region, it was all aspects of it anyway. I think that when you're in sales, you automatically pick up the cues of the impact that marketing can have. Mm -hmm. And so you start to absorb the ways that marketing can influence the sales function. Mm -hmm. And so when I transitioned into more of a marketing path, that gave me a lot of insight into, you know, the event side and the leadership side and how you can impact You know, sales is one-to-one, marketing is one-to-many. And so you just see what the different levers are and how you can create impact. Mm -hmm. And from the marketing side, I moved into business development and partnerships. So again, kind of thinking through how do you more deeply take those messages of the one-to-many and create channels of influence and impact. And so I want to talk about Box. You were obviously very early with Box, employee number seven. Seven. Yeah. Incredible. Want to hear about how you met, I presume, Aaron at some point, learned about the business and what drove that move from, was it Hawaii back to California? Or I was already ha- back in California okay. at this point. By the time I met Aaron, I had been back in California for probably about eight years. Mm-hmm. So I had been doing other types of roles. I had worked at one startup prior to starting at Box. The way that I got introduced to Aaron was through Josh Stein, Aaron's first investor through DFJ. Mm-hmm. And I knew Josh 
more socially. And he was like, you should definitely go talk to Aaron at some point. And coincidentally, at the same time that that was happening, I read about Box in the Wall Street Journal. There was a small little blurb about it. And so I was intrigued. And so started talking to Aaron. Being employee number seven at that point, was it pre-revenue or was it, yeah? <laughs> it was very pre-revenue. Yeah. It was pre-pivot. Yeah. It was still a consumer-facing company. They had just released the idea of, you know, everybody gets a gig of storage for free. And at the time, that was pretty revolutionary. Mm-hmm. The whole idea that you could transfer large files had been around for a while, but the technology hadn't been there previously to support that. Mm-hmm. And so we were seeing the convergence of technology readiness, consumer readiness, and market need. Got it. And, and so you recognized that need, and you got so excited that you said, hey, it is pre-revenue, but there's something here. Well, and Aaron, you know, Aaron is inspirational and he was so convincing and the idea was so right that I kind of bought it Mm -hmm. hook, line and sinker and, you know, jumped right in. And Mm -hmm. it's funny because I was here in Boston in the summer of 2007 for Mm -hmm. something called the Enterprise 2.0 conference. Mm -hmm. And it was pre-cloud terminology, you know, it was just very, very different the way people were thinking about it. And of course, the market timing couldn't have been better Mm -hmm. because cloud was just starting to take root. And there was absolutely no belief yet broadly that cloud would grow to become what it is today, Mm -hmm. which is you know, every company, everywhere, it has to have a cloud strategy. And, you know, had we known then, we probably would have done a few things differently. But at the time, <laughs> we were right where the market was turning. And at, right at that point also was the time at which we had to raise a round of funding, just as the economic downturn was kind of happening and we were pivoting from consumer focus to an enterprise focus. We had to create a really good vision mm-hmm. and a super strong strategy. Yeah to be able to raise money in an environment where there wasn't a lot of traction. So you were there for a number of years. Nine years. Nine years. Okay. And so you saw the business clearly go through tremendous scale during those nine years. Can you speak to where your role started and how it evolved over time? Right. So as with any startup, my role in the beginning was everything from taking out the trash to developing the strategy for the, you know, the sales go to market approach. We all did everything at the time. But where I focused my efforts was on developing a partnership strategy, figuring out what are the best ways, where could Box be inserted into either another product, another service, or somebody's channel strategy to create impact. Mm -hmm. And the framework that I always relied on was we wanted to have credibility, awareness, and revenue. One of the foundational concepts that I clung on to in those early days was all of the activities that I was engaged in had to do with creating credibility, awareness that led to revenue. Mm-hmm. And we would pick and choose amongst those kind of pieces. And sometimes, you know, we went straight to revenue, but most of the time we were engaged in trying to figure out how do we create awareness? How do we really become a credible company in this space? Mm-hmm. And at the time, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 employees, it's really hard to look big. Mm -hmm. But that was one of the things I think we did really, really well through a variety of tools that we engaged in. And it became our formula, Mm -hmm. you know, how to figure out what are the right partnerships. And sometimes we would do integration deals. Like, for example, early on, we did a deal with NetSuite. NetSuite had a great product. They were much smaller at the time. We knew they were going to be a big piece of most companies' infrastructure as everything scaled in the cloud. And they had a need to store documents as a piece of their go-to-market product. And they weren't 
going to develop a product to store things. Why should they? Mm -hmm. And so Box became a component of their overall product. Mm -hmm. And that was the type of thing we looked for. Mm -hmm. It was a great go-to-market strategy because their sales team became a voice for the Box product. And our sales team would always ask, you know, are you using NetSuite? Because if you are, that's a great place to start using Box. So those types of approaches became key to our strategy. Mm -hmm. But on top of that, we were always looking for, you know, what are the biggest conference that we could go and have Aaron speak. And if we did a conference in Chicago, what kind of thought leadership dinners could we have? You know, what's our customer base there now today who are aspirational companies that we'd like to sell to and can we get in front of their leadership team? Mm -hmm. You know, so we were always just thinking about how to best integrate Mm -hmm. all of these efforts so that we were moving as fast as we could be moving. So it's very rare for an executive to be with a business that's growing so quickly for as long as you were there. How do you feel like you were able to grow with the business? Yeah, I think that's a super interesting question because oftentimes you hire the strongest candidate you can hire at the time and the stage that you're in. Mm-hmm. It's really difficult to hire, you know, the CMO that's going to be with you forever because either the company's too small at the time, you can't afford to pay them what they need to be paid at the time. And so often you hire people that you know are going to you're going to scale them as far as you can scale them and then you may need to at a point in time, you know, hire a different type of a candidate. The other thing that's really interesting I think at that stage is that when you hire somebody at an early stage in a company, you're hiring somebody who's got risk tolerance, Mm -hmm. you know, and as the company scales, your risk tolerance profile in a hire generally changes. Mm -hmm. And so for me to scale through all of those various stages, you know, obviously I had a high degree of risk tolerance. And I also think that, you know, Aaron kept us all very, very engaged as we went through. Like Mm -hmm. there was always a big problem to solve and we were always able to use some of those risk kind of profiles in solving problems as we scaled. And I was always able to take on new responsibilities. You know, I was running the business development and partnership strategy for a long time. But at the same time, I had PR until we hired a leader and spun that out. I had some pieces of marketing until we hired Jen Grant and spun that out. I started our channel strategy. I did our international expansion. You know, I launched Box.org. I handled our FedRAMP certification. And then I launched all the industry teams, you know, government, healthcare, retail. How do we speak the voice of our customer by industry, by vertical? And so I was always given lots of great challenges to tackle, and I was allowed to sort of feed my ADD nature, Mm -hmm. you know, and so I credit Aaron for that. Mm-hmm. So he, you know, exposed you to opportunities, but you were also not afraid to take on new challenges. I so loved like, taking yeah. on new challenges. I loved the puzzle, the how do we take a look at something, figure out all of the components. And often, I think another one of our formulaic approaches that I think was super successful in a lot of the projects that I was working on was the idea of a cross-functional task force across mm-hmm. the company. Mm-hmm. So we were always able to bring in various folks from, you know, product and eng and marketing and compliance regulatory, legal, all and of those aspects. not necessarily the most senior people in those groups, but an assortment of you folks could that bring it Exactly. Sometimes like Box.org, it was volunteer. Yeah. Who wants to work on this? Yeah. And people were, you know, doing double duty with their day job mm-hmm. to get this done. And other times, like FedRAMP, it was a key goal of the company to get our FedRAMP certification so we could sell through to the government. And so it did not have to be the most senior person on the team. But I think that one of the most important factors for the success of that was that the leaders of those organizations put their resources forward Mm -hmm. and the dependencies were cross-functional as well. Mm -hmm. So all of these things rolled up to a company goal. Yeah. Real sort of team-centric attitude. Absolutely. Yeah. It was really impactful. 
Let's talk about this concept of being on a board. When did you start to get the itch to explore board seats? What, was it while you were at Box or were you just too busy? Because clearly you had a lot of responsibilities. And with boards comes a lot of you know, right. commitment. Right. When did you start to think about board seats? I started to think about board seats reasonably early. And I think it was more because things would come across my desk. Not opportunities per se, but more like seminars or like Deloitte offers a great program mm-hmm. on how to become mm-hmm. board ready. And so I would see things like that and it sort of became part of my long-term planning, like the desire to be part of a board. Mm -hmm. And I think it's natural when you're in a startup community and you're already advising companies and mentoring people to think about how does that scale and how does that create different opportunities. And so I was thinking about it very early and I was involved with an organization called the Forum for Women Entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And that is now called Watermark, which is a huge organization. And at the time that I was involved, I was on the advisory board. And so I just got a taste for it. So that was my first engagement around, you know, how to help direct the strategy. And that was a nonprofit, but it was all around, you know, women in the workforce. And from there, I went to an organization called SV2, which is a venture philanthropy group. That was the first board that I held. And that was probably a decade ago. Mm -hmm. And that kind of just got my taste. And at the time, it was just mostly nonprofit directed. Mm -hmm. I joined the board of the Computer History Museum in maybe 2014 and the museum shortly thereafter. And since I think as you gain more experience and you begin sort of mentoring and advising other entrepreneurs, Mm -hmm. it becomes just kind of the natural direction, your Mm -hmm. natural path. Yeah. So you live in the Bay Area, right? So you had exposure to a lot of different opportunities. We were lucky enough to meet, what was it? I don't know, maybe like four or five months ago Something like that, yeah. And, you know, expose you to some of the interesting companies in our portfolio. You've got all these companies in your backyard, essentially. And ultimately, you chose one that was based in Sydney, Australia. Tell us a little bit about your journey with Deputy and how you got to know that business, what you fell in love with, how you sort of felt that it was the right board seat for you to take at that time. You're bringing up a really important point. You don't ever want to take a board seat because it's in front of you. And it's like, that's the only piece of the opportunity that's exciting. Because... Uh, Well, because you're going to spend so much time with these people and you want to both love the mission and love the people. Mm -hmm. When Ashik, the CEO of Deputy and I first talked, it was actually reasonably hilarious. It was 6 a.m. Australia time and it was like three in the afternoon San Francisco time. And I was shuttling between meetings, walking on the streets of San Francisco with horns blaring and sirens. And he was barely awake. And yet in 15 minutes, there was some sort of synergy that just sparked. And who knows how or why that kind of chemistry happens. But we both were like, in 15 minutes, like, okay, we have to find a way to work together. So that was really cool. Yeah. I still remember waking up to an email, I would presume, the next uh, morning saying, Karen's amazing. And I like, mean, it's Thank so you great. so much for introducing us. She is outstanding. So, yeah. And I felt the same I, way. Yeah. It's just and kind of cool. Getting a similar email from you. So it is interesting that there was there was that connection. And what do you think it was about Ashik? Like, clearly, Ashik, as a leader, has a great energy and passion for the business. What else drew you to Deputy? Well, clearly, he has that passion. I also love that he is humble, he's smart, and he's real. Mm -hmm. You know, he's the kind of person that you want to be 
friends with, mm-hmm. you know, so that's super helpful. Mm-hmm. But you also have to have acumen and you have to have vision and you have to be able to express that strategy concisely. And I think that his ability to both be friendly, nice, and engaging, as well as incredibly articulate and strategic is a nice blend. Mm-hmm. You know, it really is. And when I think about the companies and the CEOs that I admire, he had those qualities. Mm-hmm. And so for me, that's the first hurdle. You've got to be able to jump that hurdle. And then when you can, of course, you know, you want to take the next step and do a deeper dive. Right. A deeper dive for me, I was invited to join the board dinner mm-hmm. right after their board meeting. So I didn't join the board meeting, but I met all of the senior executives the as well as the rest of the board. So well. I, mean, yeah. I think it was, what, maybe a couple weeks before was, that you had had your initial conversation. Right. And so, but I think that in-person event to get you exposure exactly. was a perfect opportunity. And it's kind of an interesting next step. I would yeah. think that most of the time, you know, it would be just a one-on-one meeting yeah, with the CEO right. to sort of gauge. I think I had already met Dan by that time. I think, before, yeah, yeah. You had yes. initially come into the Open View office to, so to get to met, know us. That Yeah, you had made a couple connections. So you, exactly. you had a couple people in your corner already, for sure. Right, exactly. And so it's an interesting next step is to go in front of the entire board and no the pressure. executive team <laughs> at a dinner, yeah. you know, where everybody else already knows each other. And so I just sort of jumped in. But with this particular team, it was just a natural fit. Mm-hmm. You know, it was a really great experience. So one thing that we talk about a lot with our partner at the Athena Alliance and Coco Brown at the Athena Alliance. It's not just getting the board seat, it's actually finding your voice in the boardroom to have real impact. Right. I would love to hear a little bit more about how you've found your voice in the boardroom in the past and then how you are, you know, I know it's early days with deputy, but how you're finding your voice in that setting, right? So if you look at deputy, for instance, Here's a board that's been together for some time right? with very dominant personalities. How do you get in there and start finding your voice and making your point and get like comfortable in that setting? Well, I think for me, you know, I look to my experience and I have confidence in the areas where I'm a strong contributor. And so naturally in the boardroom, what I'm looking for are the opportunities to add value Mm -hmm. in those particular areas. I think that that's in the stages of companies that I'm working with, that's the most important thing that I can offer. So my voice in those cases is making sure that the company is effectively getting the right talent on board, setting the strategies that are going to create impact, hopefully so that I can shorten the time to success. Mm-hmm. You know, So you're seeking out a board member who can add value in areas where you don't have as much bench talent. Mm-hmm. And if I can come in and offer that talent in those spaces, that's a win for everyone. Yeah. And so I think that, you know, like I just came back from my first board meeting with deputy. I want to sit back a little bit. I want to learn the dynamics. Mm-hmm. I want to see how everyone engages. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the dominant voice by any stretch of the imagination, but I want to make sure that I'm jumping in when I can add the most value. Yeah, absolutely. So there's the board meeting, right? And then there's clearly a lot that happens in between these board meetings. And I think a lot of people, maybe who are a little bit earlier in their career, who aspire to be in the boardroom someday, think that it's just those meetings and maybe a little bit of prep before. Right. But I think in order to be an effective board member, it needs to be a little bit more in-depth than that. So tell us about what kind of commitment this is going to involve for you. Yeah, I think there's different kinds of 
board members as well. They're investing board members and their responsibilities are a little bit different. I've been an independent board director, which gives me a lot of flexibility. I can be involved in lots of different ways. For example, when I was most recently at the Deputy HQ, you know, I was able to work with the women at Deputy as they try to create their footprint you know, and develop their voice in both deputy as a business and for their careers long term. Mm -hmm. I was able to, you know, sit with lots of the different leaders of various organizations at the company. And I can also jump in for a sheik and help him to either develop his own thought leadership campaigns for the company. I can be available to go speak at events if he needs me to. I can do lots of different activities for the company for the long-term benefit of the company. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the interesting aspect of being an outside board member. What advice do you have for aspiring board directors? How do you start preparing? How do you start thinking about how to plan for getting on board. Sure. I think the most important thing as you're kind of maybe years away or as you're kind of scaling up in your own opportunities is to look and see what the boards of your own company are doing, you know, depending on what role you play, junior roles, more senior roles as your career is developing, just watch what the board does, Mm -hmm. you know, get in front of the board of your company at any point in time that you can. I think you start to nurture relationships, mentorship relationships. I've had lots of members who were board members prior to my being a board member who were able to share some of their experiences. And did you proactively seek them out? Was that on you? Or yes. did they come to I mean, I think that is a really uh, good point to make. Yes. This is you being proactive early on. Correct. And yeah. you can do that easily yeah. through organizations like Watermark. Mm-hmm. You know, you go to these types of events, you meet lots of other women who are already on boards, and you don't have to have a formalized relationship with them, but you can ask questions just as you meet people, as you encounter people. And, you know, the other thing is, is it's putting it out to the universe in some ways, right? I began to talk with venture firms, to talk to their people, you know, <laughs> to say like, hey, you know what? I'm interested in import seats. If you have any companies who might benefit from my experience, I'd love to talk to them, mm-hmm. you know? And then you're you're planting a seed. And I don't think it happens because you've got a great LinkedIn profile. Mm-hmm. I think it happens because you are proactively putting it out there that you are interested Mm -hmm. in becoming a board member. I'm a firm believer in putting it out there to the universe. And it's funny, we had a conversation with Blair Christie recently, who is a board member at MindBody, had the exact same piece of advice. Yeah, Put it out there in the universe. Right. Start articulating it, start asking questions, and you'll be surprised opportunities that will come your way because of it. And it's interesting, too, that... Not every conversation is going to result in some glamorous outcome, right? You know, it takes a lot of kissing a lot of different frogs to find your prince kind of thing. You probably have to have a lot of conversations to ultimately find that opportunity where you connect with a sheik the way you did and you fell in love with the business and the opportunity. Exactly. And then you kind of dual processing things, right? You want to make sure that you're not taking an opportunity just because it's presented to you. And at the same time, you have to get your experience. So you don't want to pass up an opportunity unless it really doesn't fit for you. Mm -hmm. So I think that, you know, it's important to be proactive in the way that you look at companies early. Mm -hmm. So for example, if there are a bunch of companies, you know what stage a company is generally going to be looking for their first outside director. It's Mm -hmm. going to be around the B 
stage, right? And so if you're looking at companies who are late stage A timeframe, mm-hmm. you know, maybe you can do a round of kind of observation where you're just saying like, these companies are probably going to be looking. Who are their investors? You know, maybe I try to reach out and try to meet some of their investors. And so I think you can do some things that are have some outreach associated. So some of it's opportunistic, mm-hmm. you know, and some of it is tactical. So a little almost Mad Libs style question here. Don't join a board if... You don't like the CEO. Yeah. That's <laughs> back to the whole chemistry concept. Right. Because this is, to a certain extent, like a marriage that you're committing to, right? Exactly. And you can't even imagine the scenarios that are going to come up. The areas in which you have to be true to your own gut, mm-hmm. as well as be able to see things from other people's point of view. Mm-hmm. And you've had the opportunity of working for someone that you admire so much, like Aaron. So you know what a good CEO looks like, right? Like you had the opportunity to see one of the best and the brightest. No doubt that helps you kind of make sure you are picking the right personas you want to align yourself with. Absolutely. Yeah, that's so true. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Karen. This has been really fun today. So excited that you're on the board of Deputy Now. They've had great things to say about you and you're already adding impact and value. And yeah, I appreciate you sharing your story with us. Thank you, Devin. I appreciate you having me in. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere else you're listening to podcasts these days. And please give us a five-star rating while you're at it. Outside of podcasts, we produce content daily on OpenView Labs. You can also follow us on Twitter, at OpenView Venture, and subscribe to our newsletter that's sent out to over 100,000 SaaS operators every Saturday morning by going to openviewpartners.com forward slash newsletter. Until next time.